that is all I have. It's good to see you here, and I hope you enjoy another episode or another study of Daniel this morning. Shannon's been traveling, so she's tired, but she's ready. Oh, it's an episode. <laughs> um, okay, so I have some God stories for you. Yes, I have been traveling. I'm exhausted. I told uh, the gals over here, uh, and we will. Um, so anyway, I have been traveling, and um, I knew the month of September was going to be brutal. I said it from the beginning, but I, it's one of those times where you know you can get through it because October's going to slow down. Like you, you do see that, and so you can just put your head down and get through it. And all of my events traveling have been amazing. Um, this weekend I was in Texas, and I mean all over Texas. I flew into Love Field. The first one was in Carrollton, Texas. Then we drove to a place called Tahoka. Didn't even know Tahoka t- existed. Um, I've been to a couple of small towns like that. That I mean, I went to Baylor University. I've been in Texas. But I had never heard of Blanket, Texas, and that was an amazing location. I think the little Baptist church only held 150 people. We had 200 women standing room only that weekend, and we ended up with a snake in the church. And I'm like, let me tell you, if y'all are some of those people, um, I don't do that. <laughs> I've been hit in the forehead twice, and but I'm not going to pick up the serpent necessarily unless the Lord just tells me I guess he'd have to be loud and clear though can I just say but uh, Tahoka was amazing it's right outside of Lubbock and it was packed and it was such a powerful night Um, I just loved it and then we ended up in Abilene um, on Sunday and then we had to drive after the show from Abilene to Dallas to catch the flight yesterday on Monday and so I was studying in the airport on the plane and stuff like that and then I got back and I thought you know what I need to hear a message and so I just drove straight to church on Monday night and I heard an amazing message and I was so glad I did that so it's all good but yeah I need to handle some stuff at home um, and be home for a little bit Um, God stories so First off, uh, I also want you to know that a gal called yesterday, um, called Taylor and said, we would like to donate uh, $10,000 to the ministry to cover, to help cover childcare. Because we are so excited about, yeah. But listen, that is such a blessing. Like it always blows my mind when people do that. It really does because you know, we worry about these kinds of things. I want to have child care. We need to have child care so that young moms can come to Bible study. And, um, and God always provides. But I want you to know this does not let you off the hook to volunteer because this is, this is not my ministry. It's ours. This is our women's ministry. And it ain't going to kill you, as my mom used to say. It ain't going to kill you to... Be a volunteer once a year. These are precious little ones. You get a chance to love on them, and you have other opportunities to come to Bible study Tuesday night or Wednesday morning and go in there and love on some babies. I can hold a mic if it's a problem today. It doesn't bother me. Um, and, And do that and just be a sweet body in there to love on those babies. It's really important because, yeah, 
this money does help, but can I tell you, I do childcare Tuesday mornings and Wednesday mornings. It's a lot of money. You have to you have to have a certain number of bodies per kid, and we never know how many kids are coming, so it's a deal. Um, but so I thank you in advance for that. And some of you need to be greeters. Y'all are happy in the morning. You want to say hello to people and hug them. And coffee? Are you kidding? That's the nectar of the gods. Brew it up. Like, we need some coffee. And, um, and we also have Wednesday morning. You could come to Tuesday morning Bible study, and you could go serve on Wednesday mornings. Like, we have opportunities. We want you. Um, but I want to tell you another God story that's going to blow your mind. So last week, you know, I was beside myself over this Hillary Carr thing, okay? And I do want y'all to know, I'm going to give you some 411. I've been reading about Kias and Hyundais, so if you have them, I'm telling you right now, you need to invest in something to lock your steering wheel. Because the articles that are being written right now and talking to the insurance companies um, the thefts of Kias and Hyundais are up 2,000% this year because there's a flaw in the design. And so I'm telling you, if you have one, lock her down. Lock the steering wheel. You're going to thank me. Um, but if you weren't here last week, I was telling everyone that Hillary's car was stolen again. This is the second time in a matter of two and a half months. And how, you know, she's totally been crawling back to God and doing so good. And then every time she looks up, like, she just gets punched in the face. And I was just beside myself. And I just felt like, this is stinking warfare. I'm over it. And so I was praying like a wild woman. And I got everybody else to pray along with me. And guys were so awesome last week to give them an offering and a gift. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, you know, if they find it back, the dash will be messed up. So they're going to need money to fix that dash. And then we're getting rid of that dang car. Like, really? I think God's just like, okay, the Kia Souls, not for you, Hillary. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, uh, so Taylor was telling me about the offering later in the afternoon. And then two hours later, she calls me back. She goes, are you sitting down? And I go, no, I'm never sitting down. And she's like, Shannon, somebody gave Ben and Hillary a car. And I'm like, what? So I started bawling my eyes out. It just struck me. And I mean, I had to like get a hold of myself. And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, Shannon, a gal came to your Bible study on Tuesday morning <clears throat> that has never been. Now let that sink in has never been to Bible study. She really didn't even know your whole story or anything. And she came and she listened to Bible study. She loved it. She was so moved. And she said, I knew exactly why God brought me to that Bible study that Tuesday morning. And they own a Christian auto repair shop. And so they get cars um, given to them or donated to them. And then they rebuild the engines to where they are good, reliable cars. And she said she knew right then. And she went home, talked to her husband and said, honey, this car, they had just put it on Facebook the day before to sell. And she goes, it needs to go to Ben and Hillary. I just feel it in my gut. And so they uh, let us know, and they're giving Ben and Hillary, uh, it's a 2002 Nissan Pathfinder that they have rebuilt that is so strong and so good for Colorado, I can't even begin to tell you. So I call Ben and Hillary, and I'm like, are y'all sitting down? 
And they're like, what? Because I'd already said, hey, my ladies gave an offering for y'all today. I just want you to know that. They were blown away. And I go, Hillary, you are loved. And so when I said, are y'all sitting down? They're like, no. I go, sit down. Um, Somebody gave y'all a car. Those two fools burst into tears. So then we were sitting there crying uh, together, and they were like, what? What are you talking about? And I said, I know. And so I told about it. I told them. And um, Hillary's like, oh my gosh, that's so perfect. That's better than the car that I had for Colorado and awesome. And they had planned on, uh, we have a family wedding this weekend. So they were going to drive Hillary's car to the wedding. And um, so I said, so I guess I'm going to be flying y'all one way. You'll have a car. And so they um, are going to fly in one way and drive that sucker back. So anyway, it was amazing. They started crying, and Hillary could not believe it. And I said, see, Hillary? I go, this doesn't happen for us very often, but every now and then you get to see a God moment. And I said, he heard us, and he provided. And I go, I have an amazing network. I didn't have to tap into any network. I didn't do anything. No maneuvering. God did that. I don't even know this woman. And I've yet to meet her in person. And so hoping I can do that now that I'm back. But um, amazing. And then it goes further than that because later that night, they send me a text and they go, hey, can you send us a picture of that car again? Because all the kids at Dutch Bros want to see it. So now all of Dutch Bros in Aurora, Colorado knows this entire story. And they're like, what happened? Yeah, we prayed about that. I mean, so the testimony goes on. It's pretty awesome. Um, but anyway, I thought y'all would want to know that's been a pretty good week in the, in the Hawk powerhouse. So um, I know kind of scares me what's around the corner, but okay. So I'm going to put a picture up because, um, today, uh, I was telling my mentor on the way here, feeling a little bit frazzled. I have so much in my brain and I was like, you know, today I'm just going to tell these women, I'm going to throw out a lot of ingredients for you today you're going to have to bake your own cake. I mean, because there's a lot here. I'm not going to tie things up in a bow. I'm going to show you all that I have meditated on because there are honestly sermons within each section of the different times in history that I'm going to show you. And we got to talking, and I'm going to read you. There, there is a word. I knew I would forget it. Hold on. It's a Hebrew word, and it's Hagah, and it's usually, it's the word for meditate, all right? But it is used in Isaiah in a really unique way. So if you want to put that picture up, it's really going to show it. <clears throat> it's in Isaiah 41.3, I believe. No, hold on. No, 31.4. Oh, that was close, not... 31.4, where it says, For thus said the Lord, as a lion or young lion growls over his prey. <clears throat> That's interesting because that word growl is the same word often used for meditate. And it is like this lion that is gnawing and chewing and growling over his prey. Isn't that the most beautiful picture of what it is to meditate on the word. And I'm going to tell you, this is what I do. And this is what I love. And it is like, 
it is so good and so juicy and you chew and you keep chewing. Did y'all grow up like eating ribs and stuff like that? Right? My daughter's nickname is Chicken Bone because she can clean a bone better than any kid you've ever seen in your life. But it is like, I'm not going to let go of it. I'm still enjoying it. I'm still chewing. I want everything out of this that I can possibly get. And sometimes you're just like chewing so hard and you're like, no, I want more. God, give me more. That is meditating on the scripture. Do you do that? I wonder sometimes because the longer I study the Bible, the more I see. It just, it never disappoints. And I think sometimes when we hear lessons from the Bible or we hear a sermon that's tied up in a bow, I'm going to teach this section. We just take that lesson that they got out of that Bible and we feel like that's the only lesson there. It's not. You need to have your face in the book. You need to, I'm giving you little scenes in this history that you can go back and literally suck the marrow out of that bone. Because there are lessons in there. And this is not just history, like out in the world. Do you understand, I'm actually teaching you a whole lot of the kings and chronicles. These kings are listed in there. There are stories about them and they affected the people. And so there are lessons in there. I'm just introducing you to them. But you could go all week long and you could take some of these things that I'm telling you and really meditate on them and see what message is in there for you. But I love this. I want you to have this picture in your mind because are you like that with the word of God every day? That's, that is amazing. But let's pray and we're going to jump in at the end of Hezekiah where we left off. All right, Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Um, I thank you for each woman here. I love seeing them walk in the door and the fact that we can all come together. What a beautiful day Tuesday morning is. That we get to come in here and we literally get to meditate, to chew up your scripture. It's so good. With every bite, it just gets better. And Lord, help me just to be still with it often. Just really ponder and think. And Lord, I pray that you would um, personally speak into the life of each woman here, of where they are, and, and the message that they need on this day. Um, but Lord, at the end of this day, I just hope we see clearly the fact that you are in control. You're absolutely in control. In the middle of what seems to be chaos... You are not chaos, you're order, you have a plan, you're in control, and your timing is not our timing. And Lord, you rule the kingdoms of men, yet you still desire to rule in the heart of this 5'3 sassy woman. And so I love you, and I just pray that you would speak through me, and, and um, when I am weak, Lord, you will especially be strong. So we love you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you ready? Some of you got your notebooks out. So Hezekiah, do you remember? Good king. Assyria, oh, by the way, I think I told you something wrong about him because I can't read my own writing. I believe I told you he was the 18th king. That is not the number 18 in my notes. It's the number 13. 
Okay, so correct that. He is, was the 13th king. He was the king over Judah. He is the reason that the Assyrians could not come all the way into Judah and take Judah. We had that amazing story uh, last week about how he uh, went to Isaiah. Isaiah said, God is not going to let the Assyrians come in to Jerusalem. And then he took the threatening letters and all that... Um, Sennacherib had sent and he laid him out before the Lord and he prayed and God answered his prayer. Do you remember? That night, the angel of the Lord came. Why are y'all looking like you've never heard this story before? Do y'all remember this? Yes, thank you. Um, uh, the angel of the Lord came and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. Remember I talked about Lord of the Rings? Okay. And... Um, that morning, they got up to celebrate that fact. Man, have you ever been at a time where you literally felt like you could hear the enemy drums coming? I have. Where you just feel like it's pressing in, that you just feel that, oh, it's going to be a day, and you can just feel them coming. You wake up, and you have that fear, anxiety, or stress, and and you think, gosh, and I don't know if you've ever been in grief, but it's really hard. Some days you wake up and you're like, oh, man, it's going to be a rough one. I can hear it. But, and it, sometimes it takes you to the edge where you're like, I, yeah, I don't think I can take this anymore. I can't do this anymore. And it's like you're right on the edge and you have a moment to choose. Are you going to dive into that? Are you really going to? allow that to overcome? Are you going to change your perspective, trust God, fix your eyes on Jesus, and you're going to turn and lay it all out before the Lord? And it's, it's interesting. It's almost like sometimes instantly the drums cease and the worship starts. It's that kind of victory. Not always. But you went to bed that night thinking, we're doomed. We're surrounded by 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. And because of the prayer of your faithful king the next morning, you woke up and things were very different in a moment. And they were laid out. Your life is the sky. Emotions are the weather. It changes. Don't ever make a permanent decision off of a temporary emotion. It changes. Situations change, right? And so don't sit in that. Don't just sit there listening to the drums of the enemy. Lay it out before the Lord. Do something. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Turn on the worship. Fight that battle. And it's amazing how much it, sometimes that can absolutely switch. But because of that faithful king, they were saved. And then do you remember the next story? He was literally on his deathbed. Isaiah came to him and said, get your stuff ready because you're gone. You, you're out of here. And Hezekiah prayed to God. And when he did, God answered his prayer. And before Isaiah got out of the house, he had to turn around and come back and tell Hezekiah, you got 15 more years. But then we arrived at um, the next story down the road when all of a sudden, the Babylonians hear that he has been sick, and they send an entourage um, to come bring him gifts 
and to tell him how glad they are that he's doing well. And so they come in, and what happens? Well, I can't tell you the motives of Hezekiah or what's going on, but I just wonder if the fact that, you know, he's had great victories and great success, and now he's been healed, maybe he got a little, um, a little puffed up, a little arrogant a little bit. I don't know. That's written in pencil. But all I know is the Babylonians came in, and they are like the second most powerful empire happening, and they are bringing him gifts, and they want to talk to him. They're not coming to be friends. What are they coming to do? Gain allies. Because they want to have allies in the region because they are trying to overthrow the Assyrians who have now joined in with the Egyptians. And so that's what they're doing. This is about forming political allies. And so Hezekiah falls for it hook, line, and sinker. He's like, oh, you think I'm strong, I'm important, I would make a good ally? Judah is this small uh, country right there, and so what does he do? Well, God defeated one enemy coming in the front door. But the next thing we look up, Hezekiah is letting another enemy come in the back door. And can I just tell you, be careful with flattery. Be careful with that kind of thing because, man, it can get you. It can be a deceptive way in uh, through flattery, through being puffed up or made important. And so what does he do? He opens up the storehouses and literally shows Babylon all the goods. Everything. Everything that they have. He did not ask the Lord he did not ask the opinion of Hosea, who has been leading him on the straight and narrow. He did it on his own. He's in charge. I mean, he can make decisions. I'm the king. They came to talk to me. They are worried about me. They're glad that I survived. They want to partner with me, so I'm going to show them the goods. And Isaiah says, ooh, big mistake. Isaiah 39, 5 through 8 says this. Hear the words of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming. When all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon, nothing shall be left, declares the Lord, and some of your own sons who will come from you will be taken away, and they will be eunuchs in the palace of Babylon. Does that sound familiar? What book are we studying? Daniel. What's eventually going to happen to Daniel and his buddies and a lot of the young royalty? They're going to be taken captive into Babylon. And they're going to be taken into the service of the king. And we're seeing, listen, you just opened the door for this. This is what is going on. Because instead of trusting in the Lord, you began to politic. And you began to set up worldly allies to handle your own business. Now, I, saw, I stopped here for a little while, and I thought about this. I think this is a hard deal. And I thought, and I go, oh, man, it's so hard to do that. Because when we feel like there's dangers out there, or that the world has a potential in our, you know, when we get exaggerated, oh, the world's going to come to an end. I mean, look at what is coming. Oh, it's going to get bad. So what must I do to protect myself? How can I network? How can I have a network of people that when it all goes bad, I'm still okay? Woo, I better store up my guns. 
I better store up my food. It's going to be bad. Right? I mean, look what we did with toilet paper. Really? That floors me. Toilet paper? That wouldn't be my high priority. I'd be much more concerned about coffee than toilet paper for me. I mean, do you have a washing machine? Like, what, what's up, right? But you know what I'm saying. I mean, but then there's wisdom too, right? And we count on retirements and 401ks and all that kind of stuff. These, these worldly ways that we protect ourselves and these alliances we make and we send out a whole list of networks of people that will come in. I mean, we do this. But there's some wisdom in planning, right? I mean, we've got to take care of our family. But then at the end of the day, who is our hope and trust in? The Lord. And so I don't want to, like I'm Hezekiah. You're Hezekiah. He's a good king. He was a very good king. But this choice that he made opened up the door in the future for something to come around that wasn't good for the nation. And I, I, you know, wouldn't you hate for your life to be analyzed on the pages of scripture and studied and gnawed on, um, you know, like that great lion. But I'm just saying, I think that could be a quiet time in and of itself right there. Is how much do you trust in politicking and networking and planning, creating allies in this world for your security? compared to literally trusting in God, give us this day our daily bread. I don't know. I don't have the answer for you. After Hezekiah, his son, um, after Hezekiah passes away, his son comes and is Manasseh. All right? Manasseh took office at 12 years old. And he's not even going to be the youngest one. And he reigns for 55 years. And he is as wicked as the day is long. And we worry about eight-year terms. Think about your worst nightmare being in office for 55 years. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Some of the people in my mind, I was like, well, what would be left after 55 years? Right? But 55 years. Go to 2 Kings 21, 10 through 16 so that you can see where he's talked about. says, and the Lord said to his servants, the prophets, no, and the Lord said by his servants, the prophets. So the prophets are speaking to Manasseh. Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these abominations, has done things more evil than all that the Amorites did who were before him. Anytime you see the ites, what are you thinking about? The pagan people that had lived in the land um, before, I think of the time of the judges, right? When we were told to come in and rid the land of all the ites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the mosquito bites, right? All the ites. 
He's saying that this king was worse than the pagans originally living in the land and has made Judah also to sin with his idols. Like he led the way. He caused the nation to sin. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing upon Jerusalem and Judea such disaster that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria, which was in the northern kingdoms, and the plumb line of the house of Ahab. And I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. Whoa. But then he says, and I will forsake the remnant of my heritage and give them into the hand of their enemies and there shall become a prey and a spoil to all their enemies because they have done what is evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt into this day. Whoa, that's some serious stuff, right? And do you realize he came, by the way, once again, we see this kind of crazy family dynamic. He came from two good parents. He turned out wicked. He rules at 12. His mom's name means my delight is in her. But he comes into office and he literally undoes everything his father did. But don't we see that in our world? <laughs> Do you see this cycle that's happening? Ain't nothing new under the sun. One person comes into office. We start heading in a direction we think is good. Another person comes into office and we go, lose all the momentum. Then, praise God, maybe somebody, and do you just see this thing that goes on? And at the end of the day, sometimes don't you wonder, where are we going? What are we doing? You're seeing this in the rhythm of these kings. He literally undid everything. And let me tell you what, he had a lot of people speaking into his life. This man had the prophets Hosea, Joel, Nahum, Habakkuk, Isaiah. History even suggests that it was Manasseh that put Isaiah to death by cutting him in two. I mean, he was a bad dude. But then, look at Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 33. I want you to see something. So you do realize the kings, right, list the kings and their reigns, and the chronicles is like the newspaper telling about it. Does that make sense to you? All right? So you'll see repetition in the stories, but chronicles is like the editorial about what was happening at the time of different kings. And so here's part of the editorial of what was happening with Manasseh. And look at Second Chronicles 33, and I'm going to start with 10. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they paid no attention. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria, who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. And when he was in distress... He entreated the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before God of his fathers. And he prayed to him and God was moved 
by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom, then Manasseh knew the Lord was God. Afterward, he built an outer wall for the city of David. So he goes on to protect Jerusalem. He also puts commanders at a very great height. He also, uh, he put commanders of an army of the fortified cities in, in Judah. And he, listen to this, verse 15. And he took away the foreign gods and the idols from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built on the mountain of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem, and he threw them outside of the city. He also restored the altar of the Lord and offered on it sacrifices of peace offerings and of thanksgiving, and he commanded Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed at the high places, but only to the Lord their God. Okay? Interesting, huh? So... At the end of his reign, he reigned 55 years. It took him a long time, right? God said, you want to go down that road? All right, go down it. God does not force us to choose him. Do you understand? If you want to go down a road, he'll let you run down that road as long as you want. But at some point, it, and listen, he had a lot of people speaking into his life. He would not listen. What finally got his attention? a dang hook in his nose and chains. And he finally woke up, and guess what? He prayed to God, and God heard him. I'm going to tell you what, the grace of God, it's so deep, his mercy. And he turned it around, and he came back, and he cleaned house. But guess what? There were still consequences to the 55 years of running down the wrong road. He had led the nation into sin. And even when he cleaned house, at the end of it, what did it say? The people still went to the high places to sacrifice. Where should they have gone? The temple. They went to the high places to sacrifice. Now they sacrificed to the Lord. So what is that saying? They're worshiping in their mind, they're worshiping the one true God, but they're worshiping him like what? Like the pagans. Do you know that I think we do that? <clears throat> one thing about, if you look at pagan gods or other gods, they were always angry. There was no plan. There was no reason. You know, it was just whatever their whim. If things weren't going well, the gods were angry. And so you then tried to appease the God to make him happy so that things would go well. Does this ring a bell? No? You don't think we treat the one true God like that very often? Oh, things are going bad. God must be mad at me. Oh, okay, well, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to turn my life around. And then hopefully he'll be happy and things will go well. Like we... We treat him like he's an angry God that we need to appease, that he's always mad at us. And if we can be good enough, he will love us and then things will go. That's not who God is. Very often we think we act like we're worshiping the one true God, this relational God who freed us. But we do it in such a pagan way. This idea and, and they're doing the same thing. It also shows that I don't care how long you've been running down the long road, you can turn around and come back to Jesus. And he did, and he was buried in the garden of his home. But, 
But there are consequences to a life of sin. There are, of choices. Don't we all know that? I'm still living some of the consequences of decisions and choices and, and things going on in my life. We're accepted and we're freed, but we got to learn how to maneuver through the reality that was created by a lot of our choices. Not everything is going to be restored for our eyes in our lifetime. We trust the Lord about that. And then after Manasseh, you have Ammon. I'm not even going to talk about him, but he was wicked. I'm going to get us to Josiah because I'm setting up the book of Daniel. Josiah became king when he was godly and he was the youngest king ever. He came in at eight years old. <laughs> oh my goodness. Eight years old. He had a wicked dad, obviously, Ammon. Uh, he had a wicked grandfather that finally turned it around. But he was the youngest at eight years old. I wonder who his mentors were. Because he had a godly mother. Her name was Jedidah, which meant beloved. Um, and I just wonder who his advisors were or his mentors. You, in, in this, you have like a single mom situation with an eight-year-old. I wonder what men spoke into his life. You know what I love about all these kings? There's no formula. One minute you have two wicked parents. They had a godly son who was king. Uh, we look at another one and you see, okay, well, there was a wicked dad, but a godly mother and it turned out okay. Then you look at another scenario and it's two great parents and it ended up with a wicked king. And then you look at this uh, that has like a single mom situation, but advisors that must have spoken into, into his life and he turns out good. Wouldn't you, I would love to know the backstory of all of these, but here's the thing. Doesn't that kind of give you hope in some ways? There's no perfect formula. You look out at families and no one's perfect and some of it looks like a hot mess. We've seen this. Haven't you seen parents that had no idea what in the world they were doing and their kid turned out so good? And you were watching them raise their kids and you thought these kids are going to be a hot mess. There is no way. I mean, we were in baseball so often with parents that would literally cuss at their kids like I had never seen in my life. You know, Spencer, get your bleep to the car. And you and I would sit there going, oh my gosh. They are talking to their kids like that, right? Turned out to be the sweetest, best kids on the planet. Love Jesus. Like what? I'm trying to watch my mouth, teach them the scriptures. You know, I mean, you're doing everything you can. And things just don't always turn out the way that you think. And it, I, I look at this and I think, goodness gracious, doesn't God fill in the blanks? You didn't have a dad? A mentor came along, that person that spoke into your life. You had two wicked parents and you thought, well, I know what I don't want to be. So you went a whole different direction. Or you had two good parents and something else, something else happened in your life. There's all kinds of stuff, but the fact is, God is a father to us all. Is he not? If we bow the knee, if we reach out to him, God will meet us all. 
And I love that when we look at the ebb and flow of these families, Josiah was a great king. He's described that way in 2 Kings 22.2. In the 18th year of his reign, he raised money to repair the temple. It's interesting to me the correlation between the condition of the temple and the condition of the king. Do you notice that? When the temple is in shambles, when the king neglected the temple, and the temple represents what for them? The presence of God amongst them. When he neglected that, he was a pretty sorry king. There is a correlation there. I think that's a lesson in and of itself. And when he was restoring the temple, guess what they found? Covered in dust. The law. Some of us need to go... Uh, do some work. We need to go restore a temple and find that law and dust it off and open up its pages and gnaw on it like that lion. And when it was read to him, he mourned. He ripped his clothes and he repented. What just happened in Josiah? Josiah had great mentors that were leading him to do the right things. And that's all great. But at some point, if there is going to be true revival, what has to happen inside of him? True revival. Heart change, and that happened. And Josiah repented before the Lord, and he, he, his heart was made anew. And because of Josiah, the prophecies that were handed down because of Hezekiah, which what was the prophecy? At some point, all that you just showed the Babylonians is going to be taken along with the royalty of sons will be taken to use in the service. And then what was the prophecy of Manasseh? Because of him. Dude, I am going to destroy Jerusalem like you wiped a plate. Do you remember that? But all of that was delayed. Why? Josiah. Josiah brought the nation back to the Lord in a remarkable way. And he cleansed the area from Manasseh and Ammon. He cleansed the temple. He reestablished all of the worship. And he did it all the entire time that he is under Assyrian threat. He has got the threat of the Assyrians and he has got the threat of the Egyptians on the other side. And he fixed his eyes on the Lord and he led his country in that way. And why do we care? I'm going to tell you why. Because Daniel got 11 years. Daniel was born in 620 BC. He had 11 years under the reign of Josiah. God is maneuvering these kings. He is literally controlling the kingdoms of men. All the while, he's fulfilling his story. Look what Daniel is going to be. And Daniel gets, after Manasseh and Ammon, Daniel gets 11 years of his young life to grow up in this atmosphere. Under Josiah. What verse does it make you think of? Train up a child in a way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from. He, he got 11 years living in Jerusalem when Josiah was reigning and the spirit of God was deep 
and they were going to the temple and enjoying Passover and the law had been found and they were studying the law and all of that was hidden in his heart, right? Hide God's word in your heart that I might not sin against thee. And it made me think like, um, there were years, I called Hillary, I was talking to her about this. There were a few years there where Hillary was so mad uh, and angry she was running hard and fast <clears throat> away from God and especially, I would say, church. And I remember just praying and praying and praying because debating and arguing and all that, like, I just, I let her go, to be honest. And I had to maintain my dance. And that's rough. Because when you maintain a dance or you even change your dance, the other person ain't going to like it, not one iota. But I decided I was going to keep that dance. And it got rough for a while. But I remember one time she calls me on the phone and then, and you know, all this was through trauma and then Zachary passed away and, and then, and that was the ultimate injury. How could God allow that, right? And then she moves to Colorado, and she's still on that path, and I'm watching her, honestly, I'm watching her destroy herself. And I'm sitting there thinking, I've got to trust God, because if I, I mean, what's my other choice? I'm about to lose my last child. That's what I thought. I lived under that fear, because it was headed that direction. And I remember one day, she calls me, and she goes, hey, mom. And by the way, I always ask my kids if I can talk about them. So I say, this is what I want to say. Can I say this? Because I don't do that to them. Uh, I said, I answered the phone. She goes, hey, mom, can you remind me about the parable of the talents? I went, what in the world? I mean, that was not a usual conversation that we had. I'm like, holy crud. The body snatchers have taken my kid and like, what? And I go, I didn't say, I went, uh, yeah, I could tell you about the parable of talents. I said the, the point of the parable of the talents is that God did not create all men equal, um, but we have equal responsibility to use what God has given us to build the kingdom. And she's like, oh, okay. And I go, do you mind if I ask why? You're asking me about the parable of the talents? And she goes, oh, I just have a friend, and, and he just said I remind him of the parable of the talents and that I'm really talented and blah, blah, blah. And I go, oh, I said nothing. I hung up that phone, and I was like, oh, she has a friend who knows the parable of the talents? Yes! Like, who is that friend? Praise, the, praise God! And then I'm like, he? Oh, yes! And so I start, I am praying, and I am praying so hard. And, um, you know, I mean, honestly, one of Zachary's greatest worries was Hillary's heart in all this, even in the middle of his brokenness. And I'm like, ooh. And so I let it go. And, you know, when I was asked, and I, I keep being me, and I would talk about things, but I was not pushy. I'm not like... Did you go to church on Sunday? Did you, you know, all that? I'm like, no, I just let it ride. A couple of months, two or three months later, she calls me. She goes, hey, mom, what do you think about the gifts? And I'm like, 
the gifts, I go like, speaking in tongues and that sort of thing. And she said, yeah, what do you think about that? And I go, well, I think it's a gift because God says it's a gift. And I don't see anywhere in scripture where it says he took it away. I said, but it's a gift. And I said, and I'm going to be honest with you, I do not see that gift um, as I said, every gift is to be given away for the edification of the body. And I said, there are two types of speaking in tongues talked about in the scripture. One is for the edification of the body, a word to the body of Christ, which is strictly said that there needs to be an interpreter with that because it's a message to the body and they need to understand it. I said, the other uh, refers to a heavenly language. It's a prayer language and that's private and that should be private. I said, but what it is not it is clear it is not a plumb line for spirituality. It is a gift. Honestly, if you want to create a plumb line, it's love. And so we talked about that. She goes, oh, that's what I told my friend. And she started like quoting all this stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's been listening all along. Like this chick knows her stuff. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And she said, and my friend said, oh, my dad has that gift. And she said, that's fine. Your dad just needs to understand I don't. And um, I got off that phone and I'm like, the conversations I'm having. And I told my friends, I said, y'all, I just got off the phone. I don't know who I was talking to. I go, Hillary, just, we just had a whole conversation about the gifts. And I'm going to be honest. I don't care if my daughter comes home singing Shamalama Ding Dong. If I go, if she's on her way back to Jesus, I'm like, yes. I, I mean, I don't care what street she's dancing down. I, I'm like, yes. And I watched and I have watched her like come back and realizing as she's talking. And then when, so when she called me the other day and she goes, oh, mom, this pastor that we, and by the way, that friend was Ben who she married. Oh, praise the Lord, right? It was like an answer to prayer. And now they're visiting churches and I'm getting all this feedback from them of, oh, this pastor's a cross between this and this. And I loved it. We visited their children's program. We might volunteer. And I'm like, what is that? Like, hallelujah, right? Train up a child in the way they should go. And in the end, and sometimes we get to see the fruit of that kind of thing. Sometimes we don't. But I just look at, Daniel, what made Daniel who we know him to be? And I'm sorry, it has to be partly that he had 11 solid years under King Josiah to where he knew the law, he studied the law, he went to the temple, he knew Yahweh. And he had great faith in him. All of that prepared him for what was coming. So how important is it for us to get these young moms in Bible study so they too are fed because they need to feed their babies and they need to get it in as much as they possibly can because we're going to see that as they get older, the greatest trick the enemy have, has is not necessarily genocide, but it is assimilation. And so it needs to be in there. And I look at that and I think, oh my word, 11 years he had under Josiah. And I want you to think about his life because at eight years old, when he was eight years old, the Babylonians rose up to power and they took over Nineveh. 
the capital of Assyria. Now I want you to think about what is happening in Jerusalem at the time. If they're sitting around the kitchen table and they're having dinner, what do you think the talk is? You're in the land of Israel, all right? The land of Israel is the connector in geography. The world powers met to fight there all the time. You have the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and you have Egypt on the other side who has partnered with Assyria. And the Babylonians have just come in now, and they took the capital of Assyria, and they're moving in. What would you be talking about at the dinner table? This is the political world that Daniel is living in. The fear and of that the enemy is on the move, that they are coming in. So I can't imagine. In 609 BC, he's 11 years old. And Josiah makes a mistake. We're almost done with history, aren't y'all glad? Josiah makes a mistake. He decides to get involved with the politics of the world. And so what he does is the Egyptians are coming up through his land because they are going to go join the Assyrians to fight the Babylonians at a, at a, a big area. And um, I can't remember the name of it, like Lachemish or something like that. And he decides he is going to intervene. And he takes the soldiers of Judah and he cuts off the Egyptians and tries to fight with them. And when he does, he is mortally wounded. Now Daniel is 11. All of this is going on as he is growing up. And he's mortally wounded. He comes back and he dies at home. When he does, hold on, I've got to find it on my notes because I want you to know it. Yeah, he dies at home. The people of Judah elect his son, Jehoahaz. He only lasts three months because Egypt is still fighting Babylon. They're not destroyed. And when the Pharaoh comes back going towards Egypt, he stops in in Jerusalem and realizes that they've just put Josiah's youngest son. So they chose him for a reason, probably because he was like his dad. And he sees him and says, nope. And he dethrones him and he chooses Josiah's eldest son, Jehoiakim. Look at the first couple of verses of Daniel. You see that name? Jehoiachin, Jehoiakim, same thing. Okay? So... At this point, the Egyptians put him in charge. He, they tax him highly. And so guess what he does? He turns around and he puts that on his people. Now what you need to know is Jehoiakim is a politician through and through. Why do you think the Egyptian pharaoh chose him? He probably volunteered for the job. You know, he probably went against his brother, volunteered for the job because he is all about who? Himself. And so he will follow the Pharaoh. He's going to turn around and tax his people. He's going to send tribute. And so he's basically a puppet leader in Judah. What has just happened to the life of the people in Judah and Daniel? It went from here to what? 
in a moment, in one election. <laughs> okay? It went from there to there. Now he's living in that environment, all right? And now they have inflation. Uh, they have an incredible taxation. They're under a brutal leader that does not care about the people at all. All right, he's 11 years old. Then what happens is the Babylonians finally beat the Assyrians and the Egyptians. When they do, Nebuchadnezzar comes in to take Jerusalem, but instead Jehoiakim says, oh, there's no need. I'll flip over to your side. I'm going to rule under your authority. And at that moment, he pledged allegiance to Nebuchadnezzar. He gave him stuff, all kinds of stuff out of the treasury. He gave him all kinds of stuff out of the temple. And he allowed him to take a lot of the royal family as hostages into exile, including who? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They were about 15 years old. Think about his life. All of these kings, up and down, up and down, history, uh, all of these choices, but God is doing what? He's maneuvering. In the life of Daniel, he got 11 years under Josiah. In one moment, it seems to all go downhill. He's watching his nation fall apart, and the next thing he looks up, he's been taken exile into Babylon. What happens from there is bad. It goes from bad to worse. I'm going to finish this part up. I have one minute. Let me just, for you note takers. After, hold on, let me go see where I am. Jeremiah was the prophet that told Jehoiakim, who, by the way, is known to be a murderer. He murdered men, raped their wives, took their lands. He is a beast. He is literally like savaging his own people. And Daniel and all of them are hearing about it in Babylon. And he does this and Jeremiah tells him to shape up and he doesn't. And anybody that tells him that he kills, he continues under Babylon for about a year. And then when Babylon can't fully capture Egypt, he decides, he decides he's going to switch his allegiance back to Egypt. And then he ends up getting killed because of that. And then they put Je uh, Jeconiah. Uh, they elect Jeconiah, his son, and then Nebuchadnezzar comes in and says, no, I'm not going to have that. And he puts Zedekiah as a uh, king, and then he turns. My point is this, Daniel is in Babylon the whole time. And he is hearing what is happening in his land. That they have horrible leaders. They're being ravaged. And now Zedekiah is rebelling against Babylon. So they go in and the Babylonians once again do a siege for three months and he gets killed. So over his lifetime, from 15 to 31, he is hearing news about what is going on in his homeland. And at the end, he is watching as caravans of defeated people come into Babylon. Can you imagine this? Think about if we were taken over. Our kids, like, taken from our homes. The Ukrainian people can understand this. And they are taken into a foreign land, and you're hearing what's going on in your homeland, and it's awful. 
and you're worried about people and you have no idea what's coming and then you're working in that government and then you look up and here comes a caravan with the next defeated king in chains and then you hear about the next one except this time by the time he was around 30 all hope is lost because finally Nebuchadnezzar goes in and he just, he's so sick of it. He is so sick of the fact that a king won't hold allegiance that he goes in and this time the siege is 30 months and he destroys all of Jerusalem and he absolutely destroys the temple. And that is exactly what God told Manasseh would happen. I'm going to clean this thing like you clean a plate. And he watched as those people walked in defeated. Now, all hope seems lost. What were the three promises I told you the very first time I spoke to you and I gave you the history of the beginning of the world through the United Nation? There were three unconditional promises that God gave. Genesis chapter 3, a Redeemer is coming. Right? Then around Genesis 12, 13, that Redeemer is coming through who? The line of Abraham. And through the line of Abraham and the nation of Israel, all nations would be blessed. The Redeemer is going to come through that. In the Samuels, in the life of David, we find out another covenant. That the Redeemer will come from the tribe of Judah, from the line of David. And that his reign, and remember who we're talking about, Judah. His reign would be eternal. How does it look right now to Daniel? Because I just told you that literally Jerusalem has been destroyed. Almost all the Jews have been annihilated or scattered. The smallest amount of remnant has been taken captive in Babylon. The territory now is filled. It's been taken over. Their, their land has been completely taken over. And their temple has been destroyed and the kingly line has just been destroyed. All hope seems what? Lost. According to the eye, there is no hope. And what is that brings us to the theme of Daniel? Man, the eye's deceiving, isn't it? It may look like there's no hope. It may, it may look very bleak. But who is in control? And we're going to see that in the first chapter of Daniel because he lets us know by saying things like this, and God handed over. Because what he is telling you is although we are in judgment and it's really bad, they knew why. Because the prophets had been telling them why. We're going to look at that. They knew why. And although it was bad judgment, at least they know they're being judged by God, which means who's still in control? God. God is in control not Babylon. And even if our times look bleak and it is hard, right? Who is in control? God is in control. And that is what we need to realize. So I gave you a lot of stuff. I threw out all kinds of stuff. That's why I told you I was going to give you a lot of ingredients today. And you're going to have to bake your own cake. You could go back and you could look at Hezekiah's life and there's a lot of lessons you could go back and look at Manasseh who reigned for 
55 years. Just because you reign a long time doesn't mean you were good. Right? And look at repentance and consequence of sin and the mercy of God. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff in there. Josiah. Ah. The fact that you can think it is the worst ever and some new person rises up and changes everything in a moment. You know what I'm saying? God is in control. He is in control of our world. He's in control of our politics. He's in control. And in the meantime, no matter what it is that we think we see, we are commanded to do one thing. Endure. And we're citizens of a heavenly kingdom. He is our king and remain faithful. That's what we're called to do. Now we get to go next week and we get to actually get into Daniel. What do you think? Yeah, you ready? We're going to talk about the name change. We're going to talk about the fact that they took the things from the temple. We're going to talk about the fact that they educated these young children in the ways of Babylon. So some of you are like, yes, she's finally done with history. But you need to know all that. Listen, everything in God's word is for our instruction. And all of what I taught you is in the books of the Kings and the Chronicles. It's scripture and you need to know it. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this classroom as we um, chew on your scripture. I pray that um, as they go and they just have this on their mind, whether they have it tied together like a story that they can remember or it's just little moments throughout this hour of just things they remember. God, I pray that you would use that to make them drive around and meditate on your precepts and your word, that something would get into their heart that they want to know more of. They want to investigate it. Like the lion I showed up here, they want to gnaw on that bone to get all the best stuff. There's something in this lesson for each one of us. I just know it. God, the thing that comes out to me is, oh, you're so patient. You are so patient and your mercy is so deep. Your goodness does run after us. You're such a good father. And God, nothing, nothing was going to hinder all of the promises you made that a redeemer would come and would make a way as we heard this weekend, where there was no way. And no one was going to stop that. And I thank you. You're a promise-keeping God. And there's still some promises to come, Lord. And so when I see throughout the scripture how you kept all those promises, I know you will keep these. And I can trust you despite what my eyes see. My job is to endure and be faithful. Lord, I love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.